This is Mr. Christopher with the Funkatopia radio show. And, you know, we get a lot of requests from new artists from all around the world that people are not familiar with. And one of the things that we like to do is if we really kind of identify a great artist that is really making an impact relatively quickly and is about to kind of come on the scene we'd like to kind of be ahead of that curve and make sure that we introduce you guys to some really cool soul and r&b and funk music that's out there so it is with great pleasure that i introduce to you one of those artists that's kind of coming onto the scene even though he has a lot of musical history that we'll talk about here in just a second he's got a brand new album that's going to be coming out and obviously a new single as well would you please welcome mr jordan john how are you sir no, very well, thank you. Many thanks for the uh, lovely introduction. Yeah, absolutely. So kind of give a little bit of a background. Don't kind of go into, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the things that, uh, some of the past that you have with Aretha Franklin and Prince and Jeff Healy and all those things, but kind of give a little bit of story about where you started, how you got into music and you know, some of your childhood kind of getting up to the part where you started actively getting into music. Well, I was born into a musical family. Uh, my father uh, is a legendary bassist who's recorded and toured and performed with the likes of George Clinton and the Parliament Funkadelic, Lou Reed, Alice Cooper, James Brown, uh, Paul Schaefer, etc., etc. I come by my love for and affinity for rhythm and blues and funk music, quite honestly. And I got started on drums when I was 13 years old, started playing around all the clubs and the bars and theaters around Toronto and uh, in Canada, which is where I'm from, and made my way through the ranks. And my life was changed when I was 19 years old and I saw Prince play guitar on the Musicology Tour in Boston at the Boston Garden and really changed my trajectory and, and fueled an inspiration for me to explore a variety of instruments like the Hammond organ and the guitar, the bass, as well as playing drums. And it's really turned into a life I never thought uh, would be possible for someone like myself who started as a keen, uh, ambitious young drummer from the West End of Toronto, Canada. So, you know, speaking of Prince and, and him being a huge influence on you, uh, you know, I kind of read in your bio that you had actually had an opportunity to play drums with Prince. Kind of, Obviously, we have, we have tons of Prince stories here that people love to hear. So I definitely kind of go into that a little bit and how that happened. Yeah, he, he at the time was living in Toronto and he was working with George Clinton at the time and I believe he had heard that my father had played with George so he came out to a club where my father and I were playing. I was 16 years old at the time and I was uh, staying out late on a school night which is definitely not something my mother was too keen on but my father... <laughs> my father was definitely uh, very supportive, as is my mother, in allowing me, if I did all my homework and got good grades, I could go play a couple of gigs every now and then with my under the supervision of my father. Prince had heard that my dad was playing at this club in, a, in an area called Yorkville in Toronto, so he came down to the club to see uh, to see live music. Prince always loves to always loved to support live music and and check out new artists so he uh, he was checking it out and 
then uh, asked about two songs in if he could his valet came up to the stage and asked if if uh, Prince could sit in so our uh, good friend John Daly handed over his guitar to Prince and he ended up jamming with first set he went back to his seat he and my dad had talked for a little while and they were talking about their stories about George and I went over and was able to speak to Prince for a few minutes and he was very soft-spoken but incredibly gracious and humble and kind he then got up for the entire second set played with us went home took his wife home came back for the third set and played a third set with us so that was definitely an unforgettable night Prince has been a huge part of my life in terms of life-changing experiences and that was certainly the first of of many an unforgettable night for sure yeah I mean I can't even imagine that now had your dad had the op- he hadn't met Prince before that night either correct he, he had not no no so Prince just walks in and of course you know both of you are kind of a little bit flabbergasted that this is actually happening because I mean that's <laughs> pretty amazing I mean was he familiar with the set list of what you guys were playing or was it pretty much an no, improv no, it ended up it, it, it ended up just turning into an impromptu night of just just jamming lots of instrumentals didn't really sing much he was just quite taken by the groove in the pocket and we just ran with it um, my dad's a pretty cool understated guy he really played it cool but really understood the the reverence of having someone like Prince who he really is, has admired as a as an ambassador for the music that he grew up playing with he grew up playing with the likes of George and many others and uh, he really has always greatly admired and respected as we all have Prince's uh, incredible ability to embody all the things we love about R&B soul and funk music right and so how many people are sitting in the audience at this time when this goes down it's pretty cool because it was a really tiny club so the vibe was really intimate and packed and people were going crazy this was just before the advent of video phones and social media and um which was actually quite nice because it was it was just a moment that everybody got to see and experience with their own eyes and not through a lens of a cell phone you know there's there was definitely a a, a, quite a a visceral connection to the moment from all aspects people working behind the bar in the kitchen the people who came out Yorkville's a pretty upscale well-to-do kind of place but it still had real fans of music there as well as well as the well-to-do's and it was quite a uh, an interesting dichotomy of of people and and it was just it was such an amazing moment in time for all concerned there's still people around the city that that still talk about being there that night and pretty unforgettable moment in my life yeah i think when you have like intimate moments like that i mean there are certain intimate moments that happen i've had i've told stories about intimate moments that i've had with prince as far as you know just you know, vibing with just him and I, and it's just kind of one of those things where it's like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm just, I'm standing here and I'm, you know, singing along with Prince. And I mean, it's, it's weird. It's just one of those, uh, right. it's, it's one of those scenarios where you just, those types of intimate moments. And the only one I can think that's even closely, even remote to that was when Jesse Johnson came here to Atlanta to play a little mm. gig at this really small little jazz club. And we had, we had had an ice storm here, and literally there were maybe 
maybe two dozen people at best that were inside of that club. Wow. And so wow. it's so it's us and Jesse Johnson and a trio that wasn't going to be a trio. It was supposed to be a full band, but because of the right. ice storm, the people couldn't make it. So it ended up being this like jam session and that didn't even yeah. have that didn't even have an end. I mean, literally he he just kind of sat down on the edge of the stage at one point about an hour and a half in and just was just tinkering around the guitar and telling stories and people just came up and right, stood right. around. It's I mean, moments like that you can't you can't put a price tag on it and it's just you have it, just the, to be there is phenomenal. Yeah, I, I I agree. I find usually within the twenty-five to fifty or sixty people range, those kind of intimate experiences and performing for a crowd size that up close and personal. I tend to remember more of those shows as a spectator or a performer than many of the great concerts that I've been to in the, you know, mega domes or the stadiums and festivals. And there's there's just something so uh, connective about the, the energy is just so, uh, it's indescribable, but it's, it's, it definitely has that unforgettable feel and, and vibe to it. It's just tailor-made for moments like what you've described and certainly the story that, you know, I mean, I, I'll never forget those 50, 60 people and just how Prince just got the room just buzzing and hyped and it was, it was amazing. Yeah, I mean, so tell me, I mean, so now you've actually worked with, you know, quite a few artists that are no longer with us anymore. You worked a little bit with Jeff Healy. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, uh, Jeff and my father are uh, were good friends for a long time. My my father had an, a fantastic rhythm and blues band in Canada called the Lincolns. And when Jeff Healy was starting, the Lincolns were a pretty big deal in Canada back then. And Jeff would open up, and so uh, for the Lincolns. And so Jeff and my father have known each other for a long time. And as I was making my way through the ranks playing with Jeff he really loved my playing and he would come out to sit in with my dad's band when I'd be playing drums in that band and eventually it just ended up turning into Jeff asking my father and I to come play we had a really wonderful relationship and he was always encouraging and supportive and extremely generous with his time uh, as he was to many people that, who knew him and certainly one of the premier guitar players and inspirations for me and for many people in Canada and around the world. He's one of the heaviest guitar players. Jeff was even kind enough to uh, write a, uh, a recommendation letter for me. He wrote my recommendation letter to Berkeley College of Music, which is hilarious. <laughs> That's great. That's awesome. <laughs> he, was, he, was, he, was just, he was just that sincere and real a person that, you know, he was legendary, but also just a sweet, gentle, kind, loving individual to, to everybody. And I owe a great deal to Jeff for, for him just being so encouraging to a young kid in Canada who wants, you know, an inspiring musician and gave so much time to people like myself and many of my peers. And I'll always uh, think of Jeff fondly for all those reasons yeah a lot of people don't know jeff outside of roadhouse <laughs> so it's kind of one of those things where right, you, know, right. you really need to do your research because he was an amazing guitarist i mean so many artists that are on 
on the scene now, including you know artists like Robert Randolph and, and people like that, owe so much to him for oh the, yes, absolutely. Just the acclamation of, of slide guitar and the way that it, it it's being implemented now in a lot of different music outside of country, and it's kind of really just, yeah, it's been it's been pretty phenomenal. But I I'm really interested in how you got involved with also another unfortunately another artist that's no longer with us, Aretha Franklin. Tell me how that came about oh yes well aretha's been one of my all-time favorites for obvious reasons she's the undisputed queen of soul in my books i grew up listening to her as a as a young child and she's been one of my biggest influences like prince i was singing and playing guitar this was this was at the point when i was singing and playing guitar in my early mid-20s been picking that up trying it out working on it playing around town there was uh, uh, a few people on the uh, board of the td toronto jazz festival in particular the chairman pat taylor who was is a, is a big fan of of ours and had heard me do a couple of aretha franklin songs and somehow he heard some demo or some cbc broadcast or something of me doing an Aretha song and he had informed us that Aretha was coming to the jazz festival and unbeknownst to me he submitted that little demo or that little audio piece to Aretha's team and said hey how about this kid opening up for Aretha now on the contract apparently is uh, Aretha did not have anybody open for her that was sort of like a no-no but somehow that clip made its way to her management which made its way to Aretha and she said I really like this kid I'd love to have him open at this show so at her personal request she said make room for this kid to uh, open up for me at this show so that was pretty surreal <laughs> to say the least <laughs> and um, and the, the, the incredible thing about it was she gave me a full hour slot and an encore and as we were walking off stage she made the entire band of hers her entire band line up side stage and shake my hand to thank me as I was coming off stage I thought that was an incredible sign of respect I, I, I still can't believe when I think about it that that even happened but that was truly one of the highlights of my life to get the approval you know the seal of approval the nod from the from the queen of soul herself I remember even sitting standing side stage during her show and Aretha was on fire that night too there have been some accountings, I can't speak personally to it, but there have been some accountings where sometimes she's, you know, putting it in cruise control. But this night she was really giving it. And I remember she looked over to the side of the stage, saw me, and as she was about to count in the next tune, she said, I'd now like to dedicate this next song to that tall drink of temptation who was on stage before me. And then proceeded to just completely school me on how to sing, you know, jazz standards on <laughs> <laughs> but I, I thought that was that was just an absolutely again an absolutely incredible moment for a kid from Toronto who grew up idolizing uh, Aretha Franklin and to be standing there and to get you know just a, a nod of encouragement from one of the most iconic figures of music is it's just these are these are the wonderful stories that keep me inspired and motivated to uh, pursue 
my passion for music. Yeah, I don't I don't know how I would react if if Aretha called me a <laughs> tall drink of temptation. I don't know how. <laughs> I uh, I know I, I didn't sleep I didn't sleep that night that's for sure I I was I remember just walking around the city just going did that really just happen oh, yeah. it was, it was I incredible bet. I bet I want to get to to talking about your music but I do want to cover one more item was that you also performed doing lead vocals and guitar for David Foster now for for those of you who don't know who David Foster I mean he's he's got I mean, well over a dozen Grammy Awards, and he's done work with Seal and Michael Bolton and Michael Buble. I mean, just to, to name a few. How exactly did you get involved with David as well? Well, I, I believe that David had heard one of my, had actually heard a clip from my uh, uh, opening for Aretha at the Jazz Fest here in Toronto. And uh, he and my father go way back. Another group, another another guy that my dad spent time with and and sort of got on the scene with in LA back in the 70s when they were both in LA when they both first moved to LA because they're both Canadian boys so David had heard this uh, had heard this clip and was quite taken by it and he had invited me down to LA and at the time he was the uh, CEO and president of Verve Records he called me down so I went down and I went to meet with him he said hey I'm really taken by what you're doing I've I really love it. I had met David a few times before in passing, but this was the first sort of real musical encounter. And he said, I really love your work. I love your voice. I love your guitar playing. I'd like to sign you to the deal. So uh, I signed a five album deal with Verve Records. Unfortunately, uh, I was left in the hands of some less than enthusiastic people about it who weren't as enthusiastic and keen as David was. But we uh, amicably parted ways. I was able to get a buyout from my record deal, from my record deal, and uh, we still maintained a really great relationship. Now flash forward to a few years later, we were just in Japan doing some business. We had noticed that David was celebrating the 30th anniversary at the Blue Note Tokyo. And um, we had just sent a message to him as we've remained friends for, uh, you know, still good friends. And uh, he had, we said, hey, David, we see you're playing at uh, the Blue Note. We'd like to come out. Maybe Jordan can sit in for a tune. Got a message back from him about 10 minutes later saying, how would Jordan like to do the show? So I, uh, along with Brian McKnight and a couple of other singers, was became a featured singer at the for four nights at the Blue Note Tokyo with David Foster and his ace band and you know that's one of the many experiences I've had with David he's an incredible musician brilliant prolific producer and writer as you've stated earlier and you know a legitimate musical powerhouse he really knows one of my he really knows music one of my fondest memories of being backstage with him in Tokyo at the Blue Note was having him sit there and explain to us you know his experience of recording and writing after the love is gone which is the earth wind and fire smash hit he then proceeded to absolutely shred on the piano all the earth wind and fire parts maurice white's parts Verdine white's parts all the parts and playing it all at the same time effortlessly and that was a that was an incredible amazing moment to just see david in his sort of rawest form just shredding through all this 
Earth, Wind, and Fire material I grew up listening to and playing it flawlessly. That was absolutely incredible. Yeah, there's so much, there's some artists that you know you kind of look at specifically pianist that really yeah. you know like when I was lucky enough to be at both of Prince's final concerts in Atlanta uh, during the Prince piano oh, and a microphone man. tour. I, I thought to myself going in, I was like, yeah, I would really like to see him in a full band. But, you know, I, he's, he's, he's good at piano. He's a, he's a brilliant uh, pianist. So I, I'm, I'm going to go see this because. But when somebody yeah. sits behind a piano and just totally takes your breath away and they're covering all those parts <clears> that <throat> you would normally hear yeah. in the full produced song. I mean, they're covering the percussive yeah. parts. They're covering the melodies. They're covering uh, anything background that's going on. I mean. It seems like it's just all encompassing, but it's all happening and coming from one instrument. It's really, it's really something oh, breathtaking mm. to watch. It's like I don't, I don't understand how you're pulling all that off. It just doesn't. <laughs> and there's yeah, very few people I mean, that do pe- that. People, people really uh, underrate David Foster's ability as a piano player. I mean, it's a shame that people don't know more about that side of his brilliance. And also, to your point about the Prince and the Microphone Tour, let me just also say that that was probably one of the greatest shows anybody could see. If anybody saw that, they know exactly what we're talking about. But if they haven't, go look that up on YouTube or something. That is transcendent. It's funny, my father actually was brought down to the first show in Oakland and San Francisco, California for the Piano and the Microphone Tour as Prince's audio consultant. which is funny, full circle, full circle moment right there, which was, you know, a a huge honor for my father, but also my father had never seen Prince live. So that was his first, that was his first introduction to seeing him in the flesh. And I just remember getting messages from my dad after the show saying the people were so captivated and so moved spiritually by this incredible uh, you described just the the, the the connection of a piano and a vocal and how people were it looked like they were trying to throw themselves off the balcony because it was just such an amazing it's unfortunate that we don't get to experience seeing shows like that more often but to your point it's extremely difficult to pull that off convincingly you know a lot of times people will sit in front of a piano and then they'll talk and tell stories and you know there's never really any flow or vibe (laughs) from just a couple of notes and then stories but prince could just carry could just carry a, a lifetime of music and you'd never get bored of it. it just sitting in front of him watching that that's that is uh Again, why Prince is one of my favorites and clearly one of yours. So, yeah, it's it's just so commanding. It's that, that's the word that I was really trying to look for. It's just being yeah. able to totally envelop everybody that's there, and think it's just me and a microphone. And what was also impressive about that show, more than anything else, and again, not to go down a rabbit hole, was that I was expecting a lot of looping and of you know. You know, just because yeah, a lot of times yeah. you see solo artists do that, and there was none of that. Yeah. He just literally just yeah. kept the show going without doing any sound effects. Without it, it was yeah. just him and a piano, just as advertised, and it was breathtaking. That is, yeah, that is the essence of what I love most about Prince. You know, he he's kept the the spirit of real music and execution of real live performance so 
alive and well through you know the generations that has sort of led itself into the world of relying on all those loops and 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 backing tracks and things that is the thing that i um i most admire about prince he's been he's been the ambassador i'll use that word again for rhythm and blues and soul music funk music and the interpretation of it in as real a way as possible, as live a way as possible. So I really credit Prince for a lot of things and that's one of the things I love most about him. Kept the spirit of real music alive and well. Yeah, and so let's talk about your music now. You have you have an album that will eventually be coming out, but you have released a, a single. Well, I don't know if has a single been officially released yet. Get in the group. The, the, the single will be uh, the single. Will, the single will be released in uh, on the first of June, giving uh, the Funkatopia the exclusive. <laughs> Perfect. So. That's perfect. And the song yeah. is called "Get in the Groove," and it's really great. It is in the vein of that 80s funk vibe with um, you know the time and obviously a little bit more current would be Bruno Mars but Bruno Mars really his style really isn't that current because he is heavily borrowing from the 70s and 80s funk well <laughs> more more late 80s 90s uh, level right. of funk right. and you really right. have which is great which is great which oh, I applaud right. him for you know, I, I, I love it yeah, and so you've got this. It's it's a great song, and I'm I really liked it. And that's one of the reasons why I had agreed to the interview because I was thinking to myself, if the album is like this, Jordan's going to just explode. I mean, he's going to explode onto the radio, oh. and he's going to be all over the place. So thank you, kindly. Is is the is the whole album going to be like this, or is it? Yes, uh, okay. yes. The answer, the short answer is yes. I I. I you know, took uh, the inspiration from artists like Prince, who encouraged artists of uh, my generation, or uh, you know, Bruno Mars. We see a lot of new artists trying to envelop that sound or that component into their repertoire and their style, which which I love. I mean, I really love that Bruno Mars and Justin Timberlake and Wolfpack and Anderson Park are really paving the way to keep that kind of music going. So it really gave me a sense of confidence when I wanted to create the spirit of all the music from the late 60s, early 70s that I grew up listening to and was inspired by. And just wanted to make a, a feel-good record and have something where I could experiment playing all the instruments like on the track it and the groove in particular. Well, actually, all of them. Uh, it's myself. It's just me playing drums, guitar, Hammond organ, clavinet, singing, and my father, Prakash John, on the bass. So it was a great opportunity for me to make a record with my dad and playing all the instruments. So it's it's a lot of fun. There's definitely a, that historical link of my father growing up at that time and then my love for the music that he introduced me to all combined into one effort of keeping funk and soul music alive and well today. Now, and you have a lot of uh, Canadian connections because you're, you're from Canada, obviously working with David Foster, and you've got a lot of musical <clears throat> history up there. So what was the, this, why was it so important for you to release this in the UK as opposed to, you know, kind of dropping it in the middle of uh, a fan base that you kind of already have established? Well, um, I, I, I've always felt very strongly about the 
fervent support R&B music receives in the UK. They really seem to have a following that is very hungry and accepting of contemporary or retro or classic rhythm and blues, funk, soul-based. We saw, we've seen that with Amy Winehouse, Adele, some lesser-known mainstream artists like Lewis Taylor, Jamie Woon. I could go on and on. Jamie Woon. I'm, just, I'm glad you mentioned Jamie Woon because he is phenomenal. And we, and you're right as really far as that's cool. concerned with UK. With we got Jamiroquai and Electro Faz and those yeah, other guys. Of yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and it seems to be it seems to be accepted as a mainstream genre, if I can use that word, without it having to be stereotyped into a genre, which I've always appreciated about about the UK music fans and lovers of music there. So I just thought this might be a tune. It's just a feel good song. You know, there's no political or romantic agenda behind it, other than just you know. Get in the group. We just need to be reminded sometimes of, you know, feeling good, dancing, turning up the radio, and just letting it hang out is one of the best ways to enjoy music. And and I'm very appreciative of that fact. I mean, I, I kind of knew that's what, what your answer was going to be because of that <coughs> whole acceptance of the way that they feel about this style of music, which just, I kind of, I guess it kind of flabbergasted me in a way. Because as far as the music styles that people listen to here in the States, it just seems so muddied. It's You right. you have a lot of pop music, and, and the top 40 is just all over the map. I mean, you've got everybody from yeah. you know, the Cardi B's and the, the Bruno Mars over to, you know, you have obviously a great fan base in, in the blues world. Not you specifically, but I mean, talking about music in general. Right. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. In, in the in the blues world and in the jazz world, but it, it just seems like the only places or the only things that are really selling out are either classic rock or the top forty right. artist. And it's right. But when you look at top forty, it's all over the map from the Billie Eilish. Yeah. And the, it's just it's weird. Right. We're we're how it's so convoluted as to the different <laughs> music styles that are out there, but funk just can't seem to catch a break unless it comes in the form of like a Bruno Mars song, right? which right. is which is just really unusual. But I, I appreciate the fact that UK really ha- does have a lot of love for for funk and R&B and soul, which is yeah. it's, it's, it's really devastating being here in Atlanta to kind of <laughs> not hear not hear more of that on the radio it's kind of disheartening and it's almost makes you well that's the same because atlanta's always been a soulful town uh i i I agree with you fully about the um the uk thing and i feel like that stems i feel like that stems from a much older and longer culture of longer is not the right word an older culture of music being very prominent and important in europe like Europeans have understood the culture and importance of art and music for centuries. And I feel in many ways as a, a young uh, continent of North America uh, and as North Americans, we're still trying to find our way and figure out the importance of all these things. The, the thing that I love is that there's room for everybody and, and that's encouraging. You know, to put a positive spin on it, I feel like it's encouraging to know that there's room for everybody to make sort of their mark in music. 
the variety, I've never had a problem with variety, but I feel that a lot of times the people who are dictating what is current and what is hip and cool aren't necessarily the people who are the most invested in the art form of music. And uh, those who make those decisions aren't necessarily around years later or even months later in this business nowadays. So um, that could be an explanation. I'm just hypothesizing. All to say, I'm just grateful for the opportunity to be able to have places like your radio show and fans of live music and rhythm and blues, soul, funk, R&B music embrace and encourage artists like myself to keep this art form alive and well. And it's truly, for me, one of the most timeless and iconic forms of music. And I've never gotten tired of playing it, singing it, listening to it, performing it. There's a reason it's a timeless genre. Right. And so what was, this is probably one of the last last questions I'll have for you. No as far as being a you know being the lead guy being the performer because you, you're used to playing guitar and i mean you've had your your stints doing lead vocals obviously but being an instrumentalist you've kind of been in in the in the back how how is it for you i mean what is your comfort level being in that lead lead position i've been very fortunate enough to be a sideman for a long time in my teens and early 20s and performing with some fantastic artists it gave me a huge lesson and understanding in the role of being a lead artist, but also how to be a team player with the rest of the band. And being a multi-instrumentalist and now being at the front of the stage, I feel like what, why I can connect so fondly and musically with my band members is that I know, I understand what it's like to be a sideman and I feel more like a team player than a front man, if that makes any sense. I'm not just a lead vocalist. I'm a guy who also plays an instrument and is part of the rhythm section, which is a team. It's the engine. It's the locomotive that drives the whole thing. And I feel like uh, I, feel, I feel quite comfortable being myself and being very honest and, uh, as both a frontman and a multi-instrumentalist. I feel like it reveals itself quite naturally on stage and nothing feels phony or fake about it. And I've worked very hard to be proficient on these instruments. It's not like I'm just trying to be some poser with a guitar or, you know, a tambourine or whatever, and you know, at a mic in front of a microphone. What I do, uh, I take very seriously. And I have tremendous desire to be like my heroes. And I also uh, take this art form of rhythm and blues music very seriously. There's only one way you can execute this type of music, and that's well. And the only way to be able to execute it well is to be prepared and studied and disciplined. Rhythm and blues music is a very highly disciplined art form. So uh, if you're just trying to be uh, a self-gratuitous front man, trying to pick up the girls, this art form is not for you. You know, if you want to know how to sing, play, dance, look, you know, clean cut, this is, this is the, uh, this is the arena for you. Well, now, and you, the, you said the single was coming out in June. So it's good to hear that you're, you're comfortable in that position because I, I, I firmly believe that if the album, the 
as far as the collection of songs that are going to be on this album is anywhere near the quality of this particular track of Get in the Groove, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of big things coming for you down the pike because it perfectly fits into everything that's going on right now. When, no, I'm delighted to hear that. Well, and I and I obviously mean it too because I, I don't typically do interviews so unless much. I'm unless I'm confident or feel you know some sort of some sort of attraction to the music and and feel like it's actually right. got a little bit of promise. What is when will this album come out? You got the single coming out in June, but when is the album going to hit? The single will, uh, is coming out in June, and the album will follow up shortly thereafter. That's the wonderful thing about independent releases. <laughs> you have a little more flexibility and ability to release. And uh, I feel that uh, this is a really nice uh, introduction and setup for what is to come on the rest of the album. If you like this song, I have a feeling that you're going to really enjoy the grooves and the pockets and the vibes of the rest of the album, which I'm also looking forward to sharing with you and, and and all the uh, R&B soul funk lovers who tune into this station and who uh, are keeping the flame lit for <laughs> for funk music. So, well, Jordan, I can't uh, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you coming on the show. And you guys heard it here. You will be getting a little bit of an exclusive sneak peek right here as soon as this interview is done. It's going to be playing lightly in the background of this interview, but we're actually going to turn it up and give you a nice taste of a pretty good chunk of this song, Get in the Groove. Jordan, John, thank you so much for coming on Funkatopia, and we look forward to hearing the full-blown single release in June and obviously the album to follow in your words shortly after and again thank you so much for taking time out of your out of your schedule to to meet with us and hang out and give us a little bit of your background story no it's my pleasure I'm very honored and humbled and extremely appreciative to be a part of your show and to be a part of the uh, the Funkatopia revolution (laughs) Well, I appreciate it, too. Thank you so much, Jordan, and we'll talk to you soon. And for you guys that are listening, here is a little taste. Uh, I'll kind of give you a little bit bigger taste of Get in the Groove. Take a hit of this trick. Boom, boom. 